Welcome to the Real Turf Techs Podcast for the technician that wants to get real. Follow along as we talk to industry professionals and address hot topics that we all face. Along the way, we'll learn tips and tricks. I'm your host, Trent Manning. Let's have some fun. This episode of Real Turf Techs on Golf Course Industries Superintendent Radio Network is presented by Foley Company a strong supporter of equipment technicians and golf course maintenance departments everywhere. Foley Company offers a proven solution for above and below the turf, for turf professionals everywhere. To learn more about Foley Company's line of real grinders, bed knife grinders, and the Air 2G2 family of products, or to find a distributor, visit www.foleyco.com. Ready for play. Welcome to the Real Turf Techs Podcast, Episode 57. Today we're talking to Chad Braun, Equipment Manager at Town and Country Club in St. Paul, Minnesota. Town and Country is a private 18 hole course established in 1818. Town and Country is Minnesota's oldest golf course and one of the oldest in the United States. Chad has one part time assistant helping him in the shop and he's primarily Toro equipment. Let's talk to Chad. Welcome, Chad, to the Real Turf Techs podcast. How you doing today, Chad? I'm doing great, sir. Thanks for letting me be here with you. Letting you. It is an honor to, ha- to have you on the podcast. I've been wanting to have you on since pretty much day one. And a little backstory: story, uh, I sent out a survey before I ever recorded the first episode to see who others were interested in having on the podcast. And I sent it out to, I think, 75 equipment managers. And I got, whatever, maybe 25 responses. And out of those 25 responses, three of them said they wanted to hear from Chad. So that's pretty impressive and speaks volumes for what you do. That's very humbling. (laughs) Yeah, 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 for sure. So how did you get into the turf industry? Yeah, it's kind of a long story, but kind of like a lot of a lot of our peers, I kind of happened across it on accident. I was kind of I was always an equipment nerd as I was growing up. I had a my own little lawn service and snow removal. You know, I started that when I was twelve and sixteen. I took a job at the local Amico station and I was pumping gas and helping the mechanics. And actually, by age seventeen, I was towing cars. You know, I, I know. If I had a 17-year-old pull up to tow my car today, I'd probably say, I don't think so. But <laughs> but uh, my dad was a mechanic, and I ended up having dreams of working for a public works garage for a municipality or county. So I went to school for diesel mechanics, had a two-year diploma for diesel mechanics, and ended up working in a heavy truck shop for a year for my apprenticeship. And then I found a job at a commercial townhome maintenance and landscape contractor here in the cities. They were actually the biggest at the time. We had 40 pickup trucks and seven mowing crews, sweeper crews, pruning crews, landscape, the whole nine yards. And I did that for seven years to get some experience on, you know, the light duty pickup trucks and the, and the commercial mowers. And then the snow removal end of it was was pretty taxing. A two-inch snowfall was typically a 20-hour stint. You know, all the trucks were out for 20 hours. 
And I actually had a calculation for every two inches of snow, we pretty much would lose one transmission. So wow. uh, six inch snowfall, that'd be three transmission jobs. And it was just a lot of the winter time. I, I'm a snowmobiler and I, I just felt like I had a, a noose around my neck. My kids were, you know, just growing up. And so our assistant operations manager at the time, he had a golf industry background. He was a superintendent down in Florida for many years and he was in the Marine Corps. And when he got out of the Marine Corps, he came to work for us. And then he ended up leaving back in 96 and went over to uh, Prestwick Golf Club, which is real close to my house, six, seven miles right up the county road. And a year later, he knew I was getting frustrated. And he said, you know, he said, why don't you come talk to the superintendent? He's, he's really interested in talking to you. I think it'd be a good opportunity for you. And I figured, you know what? I can, I can learn the utility vehicles, you know, on my quest to be, to work for a public works department. I'd learn the utility vehicles and get some more experience on commercial mowers. So I, I went on and talked to the soup and he said that it was a 10 month. He was looking for somebody for a 10 month position and it was less money than I was making. And I just, it was a, a big property, 220 some acres. They had a huge fleet of equipment, everything, you know, up to a 16 foot 580 D. And I just, I kind of, told him, I said, you know, I see a lot more than a 10 month position here. There's so much that could be done with this. And so I ended up, went back and he called me three weeks later and he said, you know, he said, I talked to the owner and let's talk again. And so I ended up taking the job and probably four years later, I ended up applying for a public works job at a local uh, city here. And I ended up getting an offer for the job. And I turned it down. I kind of enjoyed what I was doing. And I said, you know what? I, I like this and I'm going to do this for a while. And I ended up after about 10 years or so, we had a major clubhouse renovation and six or seven years had gone by after that, res uh, that renovation and nobody was taking care of the, the clubhouse as far as maintenance and stuff like that goes. So. I kind of stepped into that role as well mm -hmm. and ended up becoming the equipment facilities manager and stayed there for 23 years. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. And, uh, so, something, yeah. something must have clicked. Exactly. I really liked the fact that I could have control over my equipment. I could keep it nice. You know, up here we have a, a six, seven month season. So we have downtime in the winter. There's time to go through everything and make it right again. And it's totally possible to keep everything nice and we can train our crew to operate the machinery the way we want. And I guess the rest is all history. That's right. No, that's <laughs> I'm awesome. not going anywhere. So but yeah. Yeah. I don't know. At, at this stage in my life, I don't know what else I would do because I really, really enjoy it. I like being in the shop on the golf course and if you're having a bad day you just go out and ride around exactly and you know there's something to be said about the variety there's something different to do every day mm -hmm. and just a really enjoyable yeah and this this industry as you know is just absolutely phenomenal i mean the the, the camaraderie and the willingness to help each other and just it's such a tight-knit group it's just great yeah it is it's it's, it's amazing and 
I don't, I'm really proud of the WhatsApp group and all the people in there and the way everybody communicates and talks and everybody's positive and just want to help each other out as much as we can. And that's been a, a breath of fresh air, I think, for a lot of people. Most definitely. It's just a, a total group of professionals. Yes, very professional. And then the same thing with Twitter. Twitter is another great platform with a lot of professional people in there. And this is, you know, I get on Facebook sometimes and I get a little depressed. Most definitely. Yeah. I remember uh, a friend of mine and peer of ours, uh, Sam Hollis, lost him, unfortunately. He told me on Facebook, he referred to that as the wild, wild west. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. I don't remember his name come up again the other day. And I was thinking, I sure miss Sam. That's for sure. That's yeah. for sure. We sure enjoyed some good times at the, the last GIS down in San Antonio. Mm -hmm. Great times. I mean, it's, it's a shame any way you look at it. But from the industry side, he was kind of coming out of his shell and getting ready to start teaching and mentoring and doing some more of those things. So definitely a great guy. That's for sure. Well, let's talk about relief grinding. You relief grind? Absolutely. Very strong believer in relief grinding. When I first started at Prestwick back in 97, we had, I don't even remember the number of the Foley grinders. I think it was a 600, but it's the ones that had the cast iron V blocks that, with the aluminum mm -hmm. rods that held the front roller and not very conducive to relief grinding, still possible. But so I, I would relief grind all my fairway mowers. And I really couldn't relief grind an 11 blade greens more. It just was too much work and end up running into problems, grinding cutting edges off this and that. And then in 2000, we got a new 630 Foley and a 670 bed knife grinder. And I started relief grinding greens reels and T reels. And I found that the edge retention would last almost twice as long. And Ever since then, uh, I will not, I maintain relief on every single cutting unit, you know, factory specs. and That's awesome. On a greens reel, are you, you running 14 blade? 11s and 14s. I have a little bit of both. We have an extra fleet of. What's the minimum reel diameter to still be able to put a relief on a 14 bladed reel? I don't have any below about 4.8. Okay. So, and. With a 14 blade, typically you're going to get a probably 25 to 30 degree relief angle versus, you know, the 35 to 45 mm -hmm. that we like to see, but it's, it's certainly possible. It just, you got to be careful. Yeah. yeah Otherwise yeah, it, yeah. it can make for a bad day. <laughs> right, 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 right. Actually, because you encouraged it this winter. So I, I got 10 walking greens mowers and I replaced the reels in one set. So five of them. And the other five, they're not very old. And they're all probably in the 4.9 range. And I was able to relief all those without any issue. So I'm going to try it this year and see how it holds up. I'm real, real anxious to hear your results. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or as longevity of keeping an edge on them. And mm -hmm. I think that's that's the biggest, you know, and with a 14 blade, I think it's even more important because you have three extra blades of steel running around there. Yep, exactly. 
Plus, you know, it makes spin grinding them go that much quicker. And actually the last few years, I've been starting to take my land widths down to 25, 30 thousandths, mm-hmm. get them down nice and skinny. And a, a lot of times I can sneak a, a spin grind in and still be within spec, you know, still be in that 40 thousandths range of blade land width. Okay. So. I got you. How much material do you think you remove on a normal touch up grind? Typically about four thousandths. Okay. Actually, okay. we got our new Foley grinders last year, and I think eight thousandths was a minimum. I had to put a four thousandths preset in there because that's typically that I go to is typically four to six thousandths. I don't typically let the cutting it's get that dull or things are rounded off that badly. Yeah. Right, right, right. So since I got you, I'm picking your brain. When you adjust the stone up to the reel, where, where's your starting point? You know, once you get the reel set in and it's ready to grind. I'll typically, when I set it up, I'll typically just set it up so it's just barely touching it. And then I'll go ahead and start the program of four thousandths. And typically that'll be, that'll be all we need on them. Gotcha. Okay. That's, that's something, you know, I've just thought about over, over time. And I've seen different people do it different ways and not that there's necessarily a right or a wrong way, whatever works for you. Exactly. And Coming from a, a 630, you know, with manual in-feed, I never really saw the benefit of the automatic in-feed on the real grinders or the, even the bed knife grinder. And I'll tell you what, it's absolutely amazing how I can mm-hmm. set up a reel and go do something else. And, and even the bed knife grinder, I didn't think I'd use an automatic in-feed on that. I find myself using it all the time. So, Yeah, and I'm the same way. I got the 673s at two different shops. And I called you, if you remember. Yeah, I certainly do remember. Yeah, is is this really worth it? Because I don't remember what the money was, but I was thinking, is it really worth it? You know, it's not that big deal to to end feed by hand, but I agree 100% with you. It's worth every penny. Definitely. And I think when when we, me and you had talked, I'd had my grinders for about two months, so I was kind of green on them. But uh, now that I'm like a year year and a half into having them, it's just awesome tools. I love those things. Oh yeah, no, they're, they're great. And what I love about it is before I would get a bed knife grinding and I, my assembly table is right there next to the grinder. So I'm either taking apart a cutting unit or putting one together and I've just turned, you know, right behind me and it give it a little end feed. But then you get a distraction. Somebody comes in the shop and needs this or needs that. And then 30 minutes later, it's still over there running and hadn't been in fed where now it's done. Exactly. And That's you know sure. it's done because it turns off. And you're like, all right, my bed knife's done. Let's go get it out. You know, it's kind of like uh, putting something in the oven and the timer goes off. You're like, all right, let's go get this thing. Definitely. Yeah, I love it. Tell us something you fabricated lately. So I've been at uh, Town & Country Club for two years now. Just about well, March 1st was my first, uh, was my second anniversary but I haven't had a whole lot of opportunities to do much for fabricating. Uh, we did build a new wrought iron sliding gate for our first tee, which is pretty cool. And then I've done some repair fabrication. Actually, a few months back, one of the guys had slid on the ice. We have a tool cat with a rotary brush on the front. We cleaned quite a few city sidewalks. And one of the guys had slid on the ice and, and, pushed in the drum on that and ended up torching that all apart and rebuilding it. Mm, that's cool. It's a fun project. 
For sure. I, I love doing fabrication. Though. Typically, I'll do that in the fall. Um, in the past, I've built uh, steel dump box fronts for our workmen's to prevent material from spilling into the radiator on the old style ones or mm. into the, the cab area on the newer ones nonetheless. But And uh, built a couple trailers that we used for maintenance. And then the clubhouse would use them for hauling tables and chairs out to the course for outside events and mm-hmm. a lot of fun building stuff yeah fabrication i think a lot of us really get into the fabrication and that's one of the joys of the job and like you were saying you never know what you're going to be working on exactly it changes all the time what's your favorite tool i had to put a little bit of thought of it into this because i have a lot of favorite tools i'm a firm believer that to do the job right you got to have in to do the, do the job right and efficiently, you got to have the right tools at your disposal. But I think my favorite tool is probably my hot water pressure washer. Okay. Yeah. I absolutely yeah. love them. I just, when you steam clean a piece of equipment and it's so quick and easy, low pressure, you don't need to go in there and contaminate seals and blow, blow crap back at you. And you can find so many issues with your equipment getting in there and cleaning them I and mean, cracked hoses, cracked welds. Right, right. Just makes yeah. the, the job so much easier. So at uh, your current club, did you have one of those when you got there? We did not. And that's kind of why I came up with the hot water pressure washer because I was talking to the guys and they said, well, the first thing you said before you even got here was a hot water pressure washing would be good. I, that was the first thing that, that we ended up purchasing before I got there, so. That's awesome. What do you do to relax or find your balance? Um, I have a lake cabin up in northern Minnesota, and I try to spend as much time up there as I can. Typically, we're up there on the weekends, and that's that's kind of my happy place up there. It's been a, it's a lot of work. We just got a new place here a year ago, and it's been a lot of work, but that's that's fun work for me. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. As, yeah, if you're really having fun, does it really work? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And you get to see the benefits of your labor too. So true. How far away from your home? 200 miles on the nose from my doorstep. We actually, the new cabin is right across the bay from our old cabin. We were kind of attached to the area and couldn't leave, but that's about a three and a half hour drive, but you get used to it. Yeah. 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 That's time to listen to podcast. Exactly. What's the strangest thing you've seen at work? I had to think a little bit about this, and I think what I came up with was on a tractor backhoe, um, there was a leak coming from the orbital steering valve, and I went and pulled the steering valve out, and it was leaking from the section O-rings between the sections, and somebody had uh, cut a pop bottle and silicone that over the body of the orbital loader to fix the leak. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. That was probably the strangest thing I've seen. Yep. I want, how long do you think it lasted? I don't think very long before okay. it started leaking again. Okay. <laughs> I think I think once that pop bottle filled up and the pressure overcame the silicone, it kind of started leaking again. So mm-hmm. That was pretty good. What's one of your pet peeves around the shop? Um, without fail, it's when somebody doesn't clean up after themselves or put things away when they're done with a project. Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, 
a waste of everybody's time, you know, trying to find something and here it's not where it belongs. And yeah, just kind of like, like things to be neat and orderly because it helps things run that more efficiently. When I think not just that it makes it run more efficiently, I don't, it's more enjoyable working in an environment like that where you know where stuff is and you're not, you know, hunting for a tool that's supposed to be here and you spend 30 minutes hunting it down. You know, it becomes stressful, I think, at times. Most definitely. So I definitely think less stress. Do you have a mentor in the industry? A gentleman named Carl Osterhaus. Okay. He, uh, he works for the Toro Company. And those of us who've been in, in this industry for a while know Carl quite well, I'm sure. Um, Carl used to be the technical training manager for the Toro company. And when I got into the golf industry, I was pretty up on the engines and drivetrains, but hydraulic systems, Carl taught me just a ton as far as reading schematics, diagnosing, uh, electrical systems and cutting units, just basically the golf equipment in general, the differences, you know, he had a egg background with farm tractors and he kind of came into the golf industry as well. And I, I learned just a ton from Carl. I went to every class that he taught when I could, and he taught a lot of seminars local since we're local to Toro and just a super good resource of knowledge. And then, uh, Jim Nedden, he's a close second. I've learned just a ton of, of cutting unit theory from, from Mr. Nedden and just a couple of great guys that have really had a big impact on my career. Uh, yeah, hands down. And I don't know Carl too much when I worked for the Toro distributor. Definitely saw his name a lot and a lot of the education stuff that they were sending out had his name on it. And Jim Nedden, just, he's next level. That's for sure. Yeah, Carl had a big impact, uh, big input in the original IGCMA certification program that was put in place back then, and he's still with the Toro Company. Unfortunately, the uh, the underground guys get to benefit from his expertise now. Uh, when when Toro had purchased the uh, trenchers and mm, okay directional boring machines, he ended up going into Aztec. That's the company, and he ended up going into that division. So he's a gotcha. That's what he's doing today. All right. Awesome. What would be your dream job or opportunity? I would say now that I'm two years in at the town and country club, I think I've landed my dream job. I honestly do. It's, I just absolutely enjoy it. It's been a breath of fresh air after 23 years at Prestwick. Uh, awesome facility. Superintendent's phenomenal. Just a great group of guys. Beautiful property really enjoying it is it still pretty close to home it's uh 21 miles so okay. i went from six miles up the county road to 21 miles into the heart of saint paul into the heart of twin cities so it's been okay. a little eye-opening with traffic and so on and so forth but it's mm -hmm. still not bad it's about a half hour drive to work and it kind of gives you a chance to unwind a little bit on the way home and yeah true yeah, that's my commute's about a half hour, and I kind of enjoy it. Definitely. And even in the mornings, it gives me, you know, I'm just thinking about, okay, I'm going to try to get this done, try to get this done, and just start thinking about work on my way exactly. to work. Exactly. And like you said, on the way home, you know, process some of the things that happened or 
think about what I'm going to do tonight or, or whatever. And I think we all need time to, to think or to meditate or something like that. Definitely. I see my, so my dad, he's been retired for quite some time and he hates the cold weather. And obviously I'm in Georgia, so we don't have cold weather compared to y'all. But, uh, when the weather gets nice, he will sit on his car porch, just in a plastic chair, you know, and just sit there. And I got to thinking about it the other day. He's really meditating. You know, I didn't, you know, and he wouldn't say that he's meditating, but that's what he's doing. He's just sitting there taking it in, enjoying nature, and he lives in the country. So anyway. That's one of the reasons why I go up to the cabin, too. I'll do the same thing. Just pull up a chair and just sit there. <laughs> mm-hmm. right. Nothing wrong with that at all. Nope. What technician would you like to work with for a day? I think John Patterson would be that guy. Okay. I've always had a tremendous amount of respect for JP. And if there's something more I want to learn is grind angles, bed knife grind angles, you know, get more into that cutting unit theory. And and John is definitely that guy. He likes to yeah. take things to the next level. And that's exactly how I roll and like I say, I'm I'm ready to take my cutting units to the to the next level, and, and I, I would really like that's a topic that I think would be really good at at the at the conference. You know, we've been chatting about it on the on the Real Turf Dex chat, mm-hmm. and just intriguing the effects that your grind angles have on different conditions. And yeah, for sure. And so, John, we were lucky enough um, since he's here in Georgia, he spoke at our. Uh, we have an annual equipment manager seminar, the Georgia chapter of GCSA does. And he spoke and he talked about cutting units. And it was really great and eye-opening. And obviously, I've been doing this for a long time. But you forget stuff that you've learned at one point and you've stopped doing it or, you know, whatever the case is. So I thought it was super good to get that information again. And not all of it was you know, old information that we needed reminders of. But one thing he was talking about that I guess I knew, but I wasn't really thinking about it this way, is every time we grind the front face of a bed knife, we're increasing the attitude because we're changing the behind center distance. So anyway, that just gets my wheels turning. And so I'm going back, measuring bed knives. And, you know, I don't know. It was uh, definitely inspiring to say the least that's for sure you know like you said there's some when you've been in the industry as long as you and i have you go to seminars and a lot of it's repeat but but it's it's a refresher and nine times out of ten you're going to pick up something new and it makes it all that that much more worthwhile yep 100 percent. and i know john patterson well enough to know if you wanted to come spend a day with him you'd be more than welcome in any time and definitely no i would since I'm only about 30 minutes down the road, I would love for you to come by my place too. And you can teach me some stuff. Nice. Yeah. That'd be awesome. That sounds like a great time. Yeah. Yeah. No, it'd be fun. Be fun. Um, if you're coming to the show in Orlando, you could just fly into Atlanta and then we'll drive down together or something. Now that is a thought. Just something to think about. That is definitely something to think about. Get ready for tips and tricks. So what kind of tips and tricks you got to share with us? Um, I think I'm going to go with, so when I was in school for heavy truck, we learned that 
when you grease kingpins, we want to jack up the front axle. Um, kingpins are just like a, a rear axle bushing on our turf equipment or lift arm bushings, lift arm cylinders on real or rotary mowers. If you're not unloading that, that pivot, you're not getting grease to the thrust surfaces. That so like when great. we're greasing a rear axle pivot, you know, all the weight of that traction unit is on the upper part of that pin. And when you're greasing it, the grease is going to go everywhere but there. Mm-hmm. So if we unload the rear axle by jacking up the chassis, we're going to allow grease to get all the way around that pin. And the same holds true with our lift cylinder pins, uh, lift arm pivot pins, so on and so forth. So on the lift arm pins, you let the cutting units down on the ground? I do. Yep. Okay. So what I'll do, like when I'm greasing a fairway mower, I'll grease it up on the lift, but I won't grease the lift arms, the lift arm pivots or the lift cylinders. I'll lower it. Once I get it down to the ground, I'll, I'll take the cutting units down to the ground, make sure there's slack in the cylinders. And that's when I'll grease, grease all those pivot pins. I love it. That is awesome. Great tip. Anything else? On tips and tricks? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. Well, what do you want to talk about next? I think we'll talk about preventive maintenance. I'm a big guy, with a, a big believer in prevention. I don't like surprises more than anybody else. Breakdowns take away from our daily routine. They interfere with being able to perform preventive maintenance and keeping our cutting units sharp and Many unscheduled breakdowns can be completely avoided with a solid preventive maintenance program. When we have our machines in the shop for 50-hour greasing, it's a perfect opportunity to go over that machine, look at hoses, just give the machine a really good once-over. If we see a belt that's cracked a quarter of the way through the belt, that belt's going to break at some point. And... A lot of times when that belt breaks, it's going to take out something else. I've seen plastic Mm -hmm. fans get broke. And if you're putting off the inevitable, why not just spend that $15 and put a new belt on it and not have to worry about it in the future? Yep. And when we're doing our preventive maintenance inspection, if we see an issue, take care of it. Because the next time it's in for a PM, you might find another issue. And then you have two problems to to contend with. Right, right, right. So on the... You were referring to a 50-hour service. Could you kind of walk us through what Chad Braun's 50-hour service is? So typically, I'll pull a machine out of the garage, and I'll give it a good air blow from top to bottom. You know, That's when we'll blow out the radiator and the coolers, the undercarriage. If that machine needs to be cleaned, I'll pull it back to the wash bay, give it a quick steam clean before I pull it in the shop. But most of the time for the 50 hour, it's just air hose. Pull it in the shop and we'll grease it. Uh, Rotary mowers typically get a blade sharpening at 50 hours. We can usually get away with 50 hours unless we're hitting a bunch of rocks. But if we're doing that, we try to solve the problem so we can keep our blades running for 50 hours. But Um, Like I say, full grease job, sharpen the blades, check all of our fluid levels and a full PM inspection. Just a pretty, pretty good once over of the machine. And a lot of the maintenance schedules that are prescribed by the manufacturer, like on my turf, um, all the Toro maintenance schedules are 
are preset in there. I usually go in there and, and pretty much change it up because mm-hmm. there's, there's issues with individual machines that are common and those are things we want to be looking at, you know, when we have it in the shop. And like I say, I'm just a big, a big fan of preventive maintenance and we shouldn't have breakdowns continuously. Right, right. You know, there's things that happen. We hit rocks. Operators have incidents out there. But if we're having fan belts break and radiator hoses blow that are mushy, all that stuff, Mm -hmm. we should be able to catch in the shop and be proactive. One of my favorite sayings, it's much easier to maintain than it is to restore. So Yeah, yeah, true. A lot of people know that I'm pretty fussy about how our equipment looks. Preventive maintenance goes beyond mechanical. It's cosmetic. There are so many benefits to keeping your equipment nice. Operators take a lot more pride in the equipment. The machine might be two years old, and if it looks like it's 10 years old, it's probably going to be treated like that. And if I care about how it looks, I've just found that pride's contagious. You know, I take pride in, in our fleet, and that usually trickles down to our crew. Yeah, for sure. So when you first got to town and country was the equipment up to your standards it was definitely above average but i've kind of taken things to the next level i brought in some uh some procedures that i've learned over the years for efficiency and methods to be effective and yet efficient on cleaning the equipment and it just if you keep again maintain versus restore it it takes so much less effort to to just maintain on a regular basis yeah, for sure. That's awesome. What about operator training? Operator training, that's also something I consider preventive maintenance, without a doubt. It takes time to, to train your operators, but I look at it, at it as an investment in time. If I like to, to be a part of the, the operator training. I'm pretty much the expert of, of the machine. You know, as an equipment manager, we know we mm-hmm. know probably more about that equipment than anybody else. So we should have a, a big part in training and that training can prevent so many issues. Like I say, it's, it's just a, it's a well-spent investment. Do you have any documents to help guide you through the training? Well, at Prestwick, I had a pretty involved training program with our equipment. I don't know if you remember, but Toro used to have operator training videos and they actually had a, a quiz that went around with it, went along with that video. And I absolutely love those things. I had uh photocop Toro had, had quit doing that probably six, eight years ago, as far as the quizzes and the operator training goes, but I ended up photocopying them and added some questions on them. And it was just such a great training tool. It would, it would just help everybody get it that much easier. Well, that's, I'm currently working on that now for my facility and I've been doing a lot of the training, but the things I've found is I'm getting old and forgetful and I forget to say, you know, this or that. So I really need a guide to go by just so I don't miss anything. Definitely. I'm glad I'm not the only one because I'm, I'm the same way. I I, I have to have that guide and, and I would use that that quiz as that guide, you know, it kind of just went along with the video and there was a lot of good information in there. And mm-hmm. like I said, I ended up adding about 10 more questions on it. And like I told the guys when, when they were watching the video, it's not a test, it's a tool. Right. Know, 
if, if you get it wrong, we're going to explain why it was wrong. And it just increases the understanding that much better. Yep. hundred percent. Can you walk us through your, your cleaning procedure? Cleaning, like I said, the, the hot water pressure washer is just such an amazing tool for keeping your equipment clean. You don't need a, hardly any detergent. You don't need high pressure. It just melts the dirt away. Towel dry after you wash, after your operators wash down their equipment at the end of the day. You know, I think we're all, everybody rinses their equipment down. Mm-hmm. What we will typically do, we keep our equipment waxed. And I'm a big fan of a cleaner wax. A cleaner wax has a mild abrasive in it that's going to remove dirt. And it's also going to take off small layers of paint every time you use it. It'll turn like on a, if you wax a piece of Toro equipment with cleaner wax, it's going to turn your towel red because you're taking a little bit of paint off. And every time you wax that, you're smoothing out that paint even more to the point where it will not hold dirt. And the mm. wax repels dirt and it just makes everything else kind of fall in place. So we'll typically, uh, in the shop, we'll steam clean and, and give a quick coat of wax every 150 hours. So when we have our fairway mowers, for example, or rough mowers in for oil change, 150 mm. hour intervals, that's when we'll give it a, a good steam clean and a, a quick hand wax detail. And then on our daily wash down, typically we will just rinse them all down and then we'll wipe them down with towels. Don't even need detergent. Okay. That towel, we'll fold that towel into fourths and basically use it as a, as a wiper. And that towel is typically green by the time we're done because we're taking all that grass residue off. But mm-hmm. for an example, a fairway mower, typically on a normal day, it'll take 20 minutes to, to, rinse the grass off, rinse the body down, give it a towel dry. And that's how we keep our stuff clean. It's that, it's that easy. It's that easy. So when you're waxing, are you just waxing the painted surfaces? Yep. Typically, you know, the hood, everything that's painted, you know, most of our equipment has plastic hoods on it now, but Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll use it on plastic hoods on our utility vehicles. We'll wax the windshields with the cleaner wax because that'll actually take off the easing. Okay. I'm sure we've all seen driving into the sun with our utility vehicles. It kind of all that hazing and scratches from wiping them down. And that all, uh, that a a lot of that stuff can be removed with cleaner wax. Okay. Do you have any certain brand that you prefer on the cleaner? Yeah, there's a a McGuire's product. It's called the quick detailer, which is kind of deceiving being called a quick detailer, but it is actually a cleaner wax. It's only sold in gallon jugs. Uh, it's M6601 is the part number for the gallon jug, but that is just such an amazing product. It goes on easy, super effective, and it comes off. It's not the, you don't have to scrub the heck out of it to get it off. Mm-hmm. Super efficient. So I think that is my number one, number one tip as far as cleaning equipment is, is that cleaner wax. It's just such a great product. It's so easy to do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to check into it for sure. And that's one thing. So I just went on this road trip and went to all these different shops and places and saw, you know, some really, really cool place, some really nice places and all this stuff. And I was actually proud of what I have. And I thought, you know, going to especially some of these really high end places that, that, you know, it would be showroom floor when I walked in there. And that was not the case. So I'm, I'm proud. And the, 
the standard that we have going is good. It's not, you know, to where I want it, but we're doing pretty good. That's awesome. Yeah, it was now good. The, the equipment is it's so expensive these days. It, it just, if we can keep it looking good, like I say, it has, it has a trickle-down effect in so many other areas. I actually put together a presentation, uh, a 30-minute presentation for our local chapter that I presented this January. It was kind of my first uh, public speaking event, but it was very well received. Um, I kind of highlighted all the benefits and our processes and the products as well. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually going to, I'm going to submit a proposal to GCSAA to, uh, to present that at, at next year's show, hopefully. So awesome. That is so great. And I keep talking about it on the podcast. Anyone, if you got ideas, submit a proposal. Most definitely. That's, that's exactly what it's all yeah. about. We can learn so much from each other and there's just so much, so much of a knowledge base amongst you ourselves that we, we need to tap into those resources and for the betterment of everybody there's just so much that can be learned well no, i think the other great thing about our, our industry is because most of us just kind of fell into this industry i don't really know anyone that said i want to be a golf course mechanic or i don't i've never met anybody i haven't either in my career nope yeah. so anyway a lot of us have a lot of different backgrounds so I think John uh, Rosso, he's an automotive guy, was automotive for a long time. And then he's been buying cars and fixing them up and selling them on the side. He's working at the golf course, but he's been doing a good bit of painting. So I think he's going to put together a painting body class, if you will. And then Brandon Ho, that just he won the MVT award in 2021. He's a welding fabrication guy, so he's going to put together a presentation on welding fabrication because a lot of us know how to weld or fabricate, but a lot of us were self-taught too. Exactly. So exactly. a ton of knowledge that we could pick up there. So I just think it's great. Couldn't agree more. Well, do you have anything else you want to talk about? I guess what I would like to bring up is... I think we're all on the same page. I know you are with this, with this podcast as well, but I think we're all just looking to give back to the industry. I I truly enjoy sharing knowledge with people, with people that, that do what we do. And I just think it's a big benefit. Yeah. hundred percent. To be willing to to share that knowledge and and that's Twitter's like that, you know, and get you get so many ideas off of Twitter and just a great, great, great industry. It is. It's a wonderful industry and a lot of really good people. That's for sure. I've met so many just really down to earth, humble, just good people. You ready for some rapid fire questions? Let's go for it. What's your favorite movie? You know, I don't know that I have a favorite movie. Okay. That's okay. I I enjoy going to see movies, but I I guess I I really don't have a favorite. All right. I'm actually, actually, when I watch TV, I'm kind of a reality. I don't watch a whole lot of TV, but I'm a reality TV guy. I like to see what I, I like to see what other people do. Okay. I got you. Awesome. What would be your last meal? That would be definitely something from an authentic Mexican restaurant. 
Okay. I absolutely yeah. love authentic Mexican. That's I remember the last time the show was down in San Antonio, we all went out to this re- Mexican restaurant. It's just phenomenal. Same thing in San Diego. There's so many good choices. Mm-hmm. Big fan. What are you most proud of? Uh, that's an easy one. That's my kids. Yeah. But my son's 30. My daughter's 27. I just couldn't be more proud of those two. They're both at the top of their game and take pride in what they do. It's, it's, it's just pretty cool to watch. I'll tell you that. Yeah. I don't, it's kind of funny. So we've only been doing the rapid fire questions for uh, the last three or four episodes. And I think everyone has said family or something to do with, you know, their family. And that's yep. awesome. And I think that's that shows sure. how, what kind of people we are. Most definitely. We might love the golf course and love this industry, but we definitely love our families more. Exactly. And that's all. That's great. Yeah, it is. That was wonderful. Well, tell the listeners how they can get a hold of you. On Twitter, my handle is at cbronem. Otherwise, my email is bronchad at hotmail.com. All right. And always a uh, pleasure to have people reach out and ask questions and some of the stuff I put on Twitter and if somebody ever has a question don't hesitate to send me a direct message. Alright, I love it. And honestly, I think there's been a lot of friendship started on Twitter. Most just, definitely. Just Most like definitely. that, somebody sees an idea and they send the person a DM and the next thing you know, they're chit-chatting all the time about exactly. whatever. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, it is awesome. Great community. Thank you so much, Chad, for coming on. This this is awesome. Been incredible. My pleasure. All right. Hope you enjoyed hearing from Chad. That was so much fun and truly an honor to have him on. He's been a guest that I've been trying to get for quite some time, not just because all y'all wanted him. I wanted to talk to him, too. And talking about a humble guy, just awesome. And can you believe how clean his equipment is? It's still unbelievable to me when I see pictures on Twitter. So he's showing us what is possible. And it's not like he's at a place where he's got an unlimited budget and he's got a person that can clean all the time. You know, it's him and his assistant mechanic that's doing most of the polishing and then the crew does their part. So how nice would that be to have that happen? on a daily basis. Another thing he touched on was operator training. And I think this is so important. And it's something I've been working on a lot here just recently. I've always done operator training, but it hadn't been formalized like what I'm trying to do now. I'm putting everything together, documenting it. So basically anybody could go train somebody on a piece of equipment to my standards because I'm writing all of it. So just something to to think about. And yeah, that's more of a a wintertime project. And I hope I get it done by wintertime. On another note, it's so great to see what this community is doing for the industry. I know a lot of you are putting proposals to GCSAA, and I hope they all get accepted. And if you didn't have time to get a proposal in, still reach out to your local chapter Reach out to GCSAA and tell them the idea you have. It might be good for a webinar at GCSAA. It might be good for a local event at a chapter gathering. And y'all's knowledge is critical 
to the industry's success. I just want y'all to remember that. That's a good one my producer put in here for me. I love it. Until next time, see you, bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Real Turf Techs podcast. I hope you learned something today. Don't forget to subscribe. If you have any topics you would like to discuss or you'd like to be a guest, find us on Twitter at Real Turf Text. See you, bye.